Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Today we are continuing part two on Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to be talking to you about beware of the dog signs, apples and oranges, an infected finger, the Renaissance Fair, 1961 Volkswagen bug, and liturgies, okay? Open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And it reads, this is real small. I got up a little late this morning, and so, sorry, that's it is. You might want to follow along in your own Bible. It might be easier. If you've got good eyes, you can look here. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus has told us that our righteousness needs to surpass or be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And we talked about that and how he was trying to push us towards the character. He gave us six examples. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I tell you, whoever is angry in his heart towards his brother without cause has committed murder. And he's trying to get to the heart or the character of who we are the things that matter, the things that shape us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. He continues that vein of thought regarding the acts of justice or righteousness as well as giving and prayer. And he starts this off by saying, be careful. Now, some translations will say, beware. Now, as I'm a dog trainer, when I go into one of my lessons... If I go up to the the fence or the house and I see a sign that says, beware of dog, that sign means something to me, right? I, I take that sign seriously. If I hear animal noises coming from the other side of the door, that sign tells me that I need to be thinking about what is on the other side of the fence, the other side of the door, and to be aware of that or to beware And I feel like that's what Jesus is doing here. He's putting up a sign telling us, beware of this. 
this attitude that starts to permeate our lives. Beware, because there is something dangerous here, and he wants us to avoid getting bit. He wants us not to lose the value of the things that we do, so that what we do actually maintains its value and maintains health for us. Jesus has just said, though, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And now he's telling us not to do our deeds to be seen. And so we have this, you know, contrast taking place. And it's not a difficult one to to skirt around. The whole issue is whether attention is being drawn to the good works or the tension is being drawn to me doing the good works. The point is not whether people see me do something good, but whether that's my motive or not. Now, when I read this passage, be careful. You don't do your work so that it'll be seen by others. I have to tell you, I have done that. I'm, I'm just being honest. There's times where I will do things and I hope someone sees because I think this is pretty good, right? It's like, man, I'm really giving of myself here. I'm really extending myself. I really, you know, I helped that person. And, and so, you know, I, I might want to do something about it. I'll, I'll post a little something. Here I am with so-and-so, you know, at the shelter doing the work. You know, here I am at the hurricane relief, whatever it is. I mean, and I always feel this kind of, Tension. Like if I go to Haiti, you know, here I am in Haiti with the children of Haiti, you know, and it's like part of me loves those pictures. I've got a picture of me standing with a, a young girl looking at a, a picture that I just took of her on the camera. And I love that picture because it's an endearing time with me. I remember that. But I have to be honest, when I posted that picture, there was a little pride in me said, look at me, I'm with a child in Haiti, you know, doesn't that get my points up here? And I hate that about myself, but the truth is, I think we all do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to lie. I, I want you to know that it's a part of our character. It's something that we do, right? It, it's We want to be known for those things that are good because they're good, we know they're good and we just want other people to know that we're doing good because sometimes I feel like everyone just knows when I do bad. I want someone to know when I do good. So it has that kind of thought in it. And you see, wanting this kind of recognition is something that is an errant part of us. And Jesus is wanting to guard us that we don't lose motive over image. The second thought is, what's the danger in other people discovering what a good person I am, right? What's wrong with them knowing I do good things? I mean, shouldn't they know the good things? Maybe they'll, they'll be motivated by what I'm doing. But the danger is when we care more of what others think of us than what God thinks of us, right? When we're so concerned about pleasing people, and God is out of the picture altogether because what God cares about is much more important than what people care about. And sometimes these things are colliding because the motivation to want recognition 
starts to drown out the desire to please God. And so Jesus gives us this warning, right? Jesus warned about the Pharisees. He says, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And the truth be told, sometimes that's accurate. Sometimes I want the praise from people because the praise from God is not audible. It's not physical. I, I don't get that kind of satisfaction that I do from the praise of people. But you see, they're totally different. It's one of those apples and oranges kinds of things. You, you can't compare the praise of people and the praise of God. You see, he says you will receive no reward from your father. And that word from can actually be translated no reward with your father. And I think that's a more accurate translation. Practicing righteousness is actually partnership with God and his work. And God shares with us both the work and the reward. You know, the worldly honors and rewards are not in the same category as being in relationship with God and partnering with God. I think that partnering with God is that kind of a reward. Have you ever been asked to go somewhere by a friend or someone you really like or something you know that is very important to you and you want to go with that person? Oh, it's fun to be able to go there, but the fact that you're going with so-and-so makes it even better. Oh, you know what? They asked me to go to this. And so you get excited because you're getting to go to this place with this person. And the company starts to be as or more important than actually where you're going. Oh, we're just going out to eat, but I'm going with good friends or family who I haven't seen. And all of a sudden it becomes very special. And I think that's what's happening here. When we partner with God, our reward is ongoing and ongrowing. It is developing us in this relationship with God. When we don't, the moment is fleeting and will be lost in a matter of time. If we're doing things just for this reason, then it's that moment, that time, and that's what you get. If you're doing it because you're doing it with God, the moment is relational, the moment is developing, the moment is building character. And that continues long past the event. And it shapes you. I think that's true with kids. You know, my youngest son just had a little boy. I forget how old Milo is now, just a few months old, but Corrine goes there to help, you know, when she can, because my daughter-in-law, Lauren, is still working and my son is working. And so sometimes she's trying to juggle being a working mom, having a baby. I know none of you can relate to that, right? I mean, you guys know what that's like to have to be in that situation. And so she'll go and help out and then she'll hear like, oh man, this is difficult. And we're like, yeah, that's why we're here because we know how difficult that is. We know that it's hard. But then I look at this from a father 
And remembering my time of being there with the children who were young, and I think of how it shaped me, how it developed me, helped me to become more patient, helped me to become more empathetic, helped me to be a better husband in some ways, more aware of my wife's needs. Not that I'm totally aware of that, but I became better at it, right? There was something longer developing through that relational interaction. And I think the same thing happens with us. So the right way to give, he tells us, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees in secret will reward you. In the next verses, Jesus is going to be a little bit more literal as far as secret and what that means. But as far as anyone else is concerned, we keep our act a secret. As far as God is concerned, he sees in secret. What no one else sees is what no one else can see. And again, this is where the kingdom of God is found, where it does its work. It's that secret work. It translates also into the word hid, right, or hide, the hidden work of God. And we see that take place in a few verses. Matthew 13, 33, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. The idea is it, it was there and it was happening without an awareness. In Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The idea is, again, here's something that's a value, but it's hidden. It's not known. The value isn't recognized. It's one of those things that you see on the antique show, right? Hey, I found this in my attic, and it's worth a million dollars, right? Well, it was just hidden there, but it's very valuable. So the kingdom of heaven is like that, and that secret place is an important place where God is working. So then the question is, is it wrong to want any kind of reward for doing good? Is it always proud and prideful? Is it proudful to be proud of your children, right? Is that something that's wrong? I'm proud of my children because they've achieved something. Is that wrong to show them that recognition? Is it wrong to want a recognition for things that are done good? Because we all desire reward and recognition. It's hardwired into our brains. It is always there. We can try to pretend it's not or act like we're above it, but it's still something that is there. We desire reward. Our nervous system desires to seek pleasure and avoid pain, right? Will this work for me or will it be harmful? Will working at this position, taking on this responsibility be beneficial for me? That's a normal way of thinking. That's something that I think we all do. Jesus does not tell us to drop the ulterior motives. Instead, do not let them remain ulterior. Bring them out into the open. Allow them to be seen, weigh our options, and then go forward for the best reward. Oh, it would be good to do this. And it's a good thing if maybe other people see this, but I want to do this for this reason and not for this reason. Don't deceive yourself 
as you move forward. When you get that sense of, oh, you know, I, I shouldn't say anything because then people will think I'm, you know, boasting or I'll lose my reward. You ever heard that, right? Oh, you lose, lost your reward as if the reward was other than the relationship, right? The whole point is not to deceive yourself and why you're doing what you're doing. You see, it's when you do these things, don't do it with fanfare. Do it with the right motive. Weigh the options, go forward with what is the eternal one with God. And what's missing in the passage is the tone at which Jesus is speaking. You know, seeing behind his words, I think, is very important because I believe what Jesus is pushing us towards is God. You know, what is the reward we're supposed to receive? It's that of our Father. It is the reward with our Father. It, it is the relationship with. And that connection or tone or pushing is so important. When I was probably about four years old, I had my finger got infected. It was right on the tip. I have no idea how I was a four-year-old. I was probably just playing and got it dirty and didn't care. But all of a sudden, it was hurting, and it was swollen, and there was all kinds of pus and stuff developed under the finger. And so my mom took me to doctor. the doctor. Um, it's funny that I remember these things. I remember going to the doctor, and this was, again, quite a while ago. There was no anesthetic that he'd spray on your finger, and it would be numb back then, right? The doctor says, well, what I have to do is cut it open, and I need to drain all the pus and everything out of it. And so I was there, the doctor's holding my finger, and he's got a butcher knife, and he, he starts to cut on my finger and starts to drain it from all the, the gunk that was in there, and I'm screaming. I'm four years old, and it hurts, and I was just going crazy. Right, And as I was crying and screaming because he's cutting this and he's pushing all this stuff out, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing in the world. And I look up and my mom was crying. And I remember that. I thought, why is she crying? I'm getting my finger cut. And it dawned on me, she's hurting for me. And it didn't stop the pain, but it comforted me. It, It brought this recognition that, wow, she really doesn't want this to happen to me. She really is on my side. She's really with, she's hurting with me. And I see the tone of Jesus saying, I don't want you to lose what's of value here. I I want something good for you. I I see this kind of outreach and tone behind these words. It's not a condemning. It's not telling you better not. It's like, I don't want you to lose out. There's something really valuable here. Doing good things, it's a good thing, but it's really good when you do it with the right heart and in the right motive and allow it to be ongoing and ongrowing. And he pushes us into this direction. He goes on in verse 6 or verse 5, chapter 6, and he tells us, And when you pray, again, not if, it's when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... 
go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling. I love that. Do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I believe that what Jesus said was to change the way we think about prayer. Just as we needed to change the way we thought about righteousness and about doing good deeds. Everybody prays. Buddhists pray. Muslim pray. I think even atheists pray. I just don't think we are maybe aware of it. You see, I believe that prayer is not so much what we say as it is what does God hear. And sometimes our souls pray without words, and I think God still hears. I think sometimes there is a longing within us that God's ears are open to. And they are prayers even without words. The thing is, we don't always recognize it as prayer. We don't always see these things as prayer. And we can definitely develop prayer. And I want to and be more effective, allow it to be more effective in our lives. But here Jesus gives us some things to be careful not to do as well as some attitudes and things that we should do. Two things that we shouldn't do when we pray, right? The one idea of the hypocrite comes out again. There, there is that doing it so that you can be heard. This detachment of how the person is behaving and who the person is. That's what the word hypocrite is, right? It, it's an actor. It, it's to disconnect from who you really are and the things that you are doing. My brother used to be in drama and he used to be a part of this theater group that would work at the Renaissance Fair every year. And they spoke in Elizabethan, you know, I say there, they would talk whatever those things and they would talk in that old English accent and they got to dress up in those old English things and they'd put on these plays and it was kind of a big party that they had for the time that the fair would go on. Well, one year... I got to go with him to there and be a part of this group. Now, I didn't act, but I got to dress up and I got the free coupons to get the free food, right? And I was probably about 13 years old, which I do not know why my parents let me go to that thing. But I was there with my brother and the theater group, staying in tents and having a blast at the Renaissance Fair. But I wasn't an actor, One of the times they asked me to be one of the people who carried, you know, they'd walk and they'd carry the king or whoever it was up on the stick. So I said, sure, I'll help out. And I started carrying this and I was helping him. It was hard work because it was a big person, heavy, you know. I carried this and then they were done and I was supposed to come back later and help, but I didn't. Because I didn't work here. I just went and got some food. And then I say, and I come walking and I'm like eating a turkey leg, right? And this guy's go, where are you, man? He's like got double the load. And I'm like, I'm eating a turkey leg, you know? And so he was, I was acting like I was an actor. I wasn't even an actor acting like a part. I was just acting like I was an actor acting a part. I wasn't even there. It was not who I was. I didn't have the accent. All I had was the clothes and the coupons for the food. It wasn't genuine. 
It wasn't real. It wasn't something. There's something between the heart and action that doesn't add up. Remember, the spiritual life Jesus describes is the whole life. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with all of who you are. And so if part of you is not involved with that, then you are not involved with that. Jesus is looking for the complete devotion of a united internal and external life. And I'm not there. I'm moving in that direction. I'm sometimes crawling in that direction. But because of Jesus, I'm now aware of that direction. I actually see it as a destiny. See, hypocrites engage in godly activity with ungodly attitudes. They don't care about what we're doing. They're just doing it because. What was in their hearts? They love to stand and pray. Right? That's what they love. They didn't love the prayer, the, the connection with God. They loved to stand and pray. The driving force of the public prayer was not prayer itself, but to be seen or to shine, to to make people notice. That was what motivated them, to be known for their piety, to be known for how they pray. And once again, the reward is not the relationship that prayer is to develop, but the recognition that is fleeting and that's going to end. So how are we supposed to pray? He tells us when you go, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hypocrites go public. Jesus wants us to go private. I don't think it's possible to pray publicly without being aware of the human audience. You have to. You have to know that your words are being heard. In fact, I hate it when there's group prayer and someone's out there, you're like, what? You know, what is he praying? Amen. I don't know. What did you say, right? I want to hear what's being prayed. So just if you guys know, if we're in a public group, don't do that. Pray so we can hear. But you want to, to pray so that people understand you. So there's obviously an awareness. In some way, we're speaking to them as well as to God. And so there has to be that understanding. But it must be that for them, it's like overhearing the conversation instead of the conversation being directed to them. Right? He wants us to be aware of our attitude, the motivation, and what's going on inside of us. Now, When he talks about going into the closet or that inner room and the home at those times, there was an inner room where they would store things that guests were not supposed to go into. That was private. That was for them alone who were part of that house. And it's important that they recognize that the door would be closed so that no one was to go into that room. And the whole idea here is the point of prayer. It's primary objective is what defines the prayer. Prayer is our connection with God and our interaction with him. It is not the rattling off of a grocery list, the babbling. 
God, I want, God, I need, God, I want, God, I need, God, do this, God, do that. It is time in a room that is special and it has a lot more to do with who's there than what's being done. And I think this is one of those areas, at least in my life, where prayer needs to be developed, where I am not praying because there's a circumstance, nothing wrong with that, but I'm praying because I enjoy the time, that it means something to me. And oftentimes the best time is by yourself. I think I was still in high, I had to be still in high school because I had a 1961 Volkswagen Bug. It was my first car. The Bug was clean. Bought it for 600 bucks. Had a 1300cc engine, which meant I couldn't go up hills very well. I needed a running start. But I love that car. And I remember being in high school. It was my first car. And I remember going with some friends of mine, my girlfriend at that time, and a couple of friends. We were going to a small concert And I don't know if I had a bad day or what, but I remember getting to the venue and there was no parking there. And so they said, oh, we're going to jump out and go inside. We'll see you inside. And they all got out of the car and left. And I was left in my car, you know, there goes my girlfriend and my friends. I'll see you. I'll go find a parking place. Don't worry about me. I don't know why I was being so emo that day, but I was, right? I was just like, okay, you guys go have fun. I'll go park, you know? And I, I went driving somewhere and I pulled into a parking place that was, you know, probably not too far away, but it seemed like miles to me at that time. I parked over there and I remember just thinking, man, What's with this? I mean, that's not cool them just to jump out like that. And I just felt abandoned at that time. And I was just sitting in my car because I was just kind of upset. And I remember very distinctly God impressing on me, I'm here. I didn't go anywhere. And it was so powerful, I just started crying, right? I don't know what anyone would have thought when they walked by. Here's this guy in the cry. You know, he must have just broke up with his girlfriend. No, that would happen later. But at that time, it was just so powerful to be alone in my little Volkswagen closet, praying without even thinking it was prayer. God speaking without me even asking to hear and impressing on my life his presence I still remember to this day, it was powerful. And you see, I think this secret place is a rich place. I think this quiet place is where God's voice is loud. And I think we miss that if we aren't going there. We miss his voice. Right? When you go to pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't cram a bunch of words into your prayer. When a person talks too much, their words become yada, 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 yada. And I'll just pick up on every fifth word, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, man, they're saying a lot to just say they're going to go to the store or whatever. You don't have to say a lot. And I don't think Christians realize how much they fill their words or their prayers with cliches. You know, growing up in church, as I did later on, I was in high school and I came to faith. 
the place where I went to church, we were real down on liturgies. It was all about the spirits going to lead you. But then these cliches started to become their own little liturgy and not as good, frankly, right? You ever praying for a trip and hear someone say traveling mercies, right? It's like, you got to throw that in there. Hey, we're going on a trip, traveling mercies. Lord, give us, and there, you know, there's nothing wrong with traveling mercies, but it becomes cliche. If every time you go on a trip, we're going to say this prayer, here's the cliche, Lord, give us traveling mercies. Well, of course I want traveling mercies, but don't you know that that might, well, just be a liturgy too. All right, the Lord be with you. And also with you, oh, I don't go for those things. It's just so traveling mercies, you know, it's the, kind of the same thing. We're just saying things over and over again. And sometimes we can detach from them and we think, oh yeah, I'm being spontaneous, but it stops being spontaneous when it becomes cliche. And so we have to be careful not to allow cliches to become so part of that. It means that we just not made prayer our own, right? What happened is eventually we pray the same spontaneous prayer that it stops being spontaneous. We stop thinking about the relationship and just start thinking about the words. We, we, we start having a dialogue just for those around us, and the words become just the common words that we use without God being a part of that. The Gentiles, why did they fill their prayers with so many words? It was because they didn't know that God or their gods were listening or if they cared. They had no assurance that they were heard, so they just kept talking. See, I think babbling happens when you don't understand that you're being heard. And again, that's why I think prayer is not so much the words we say, but it's what God hears that's important. If we're talking to someone and determined to get the point across, but it doesn't seem like that person's listening or understanding us, then we keep talking. And sometimes we talk louder, right? Which could be why some people shout when they pray. I don't know. They're going to get God to hear now or get others to hear now. But these babbling prayers don't reach God because they're not combined with trust. They're just words for words' sake instead of words that connect to a belief and an understanding that your father is there. And he says, don't be like them because you are not in the dark like them. You, you don't pray like the pagans who don't know if their gods are listening. You pray to your father who is listening. He is there in that secret place. Your father knows. Prayer is not telling God what he doesn't know already. It's communicating what he already knows and is there to hear. It's not necessary to argue with him or to get him to feel sorry for you. We simply open our hearts and allow him that communion. He's there with the answer before the need arose. Sometimes I think we use prayer to batter down the door you know, I'm going to kick open the door and we don't realize the door is already open. 
He's there hearing. He knows your needs before you ask. It is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom? I'm asking for the job. He's giving me the kingdom. I'm asking for the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the car, the health. He's giving me the kingdom. See, the door is open. The relationship is there. But I'm praying for so many small things sometimes. Not that they're not important. But we don't recognize the relationship. And so we feel that I have to pray harder so that God will listen. No, he hears already. And he wants to give us the kingdom. Well, then why didn't I get that job? Then why didn't I get that healing? Then why didn't I get this? If you're in the relationship of trust, it will carry you through the whys and the questions and the heartache. And your heavenly father will be seen crying when your finger is getting drained. And you'll know that I'm hurting, but he's hurting with me. I'm asking and he's hearing and he wants to give me the kingdom. This is my desire, but his desire for me is much, much more. And what he's doing is inviting us in to this deep place. As we read through the gospel Luke, about a time when Jesus told a parable, he tells its purpose was that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And Luke 18, 1. I love that. You should always pray and not lose heart. Well, you see, the circumstances I'm in, you don't understand. Well, that's why you pray so you don't lose heart. It doesn't mean things go your way. It's you get to see things differently because the one who sees you is with you so that we don't lose heart, not lose heart over our circumstances, over the violent, unsettled, and chaotic world that we live in. The solution Jesus offers us is found in prayer. Here we become aware of our Father hidden in this present moment. This secret, quiet place is now rich with the presence of God, rich with the assurance of God, rich with the love of God, rich in that relationship. And we discover something that is there. All the worries and fears start to take their proper place in light of perfect love. See, when my finger was being cut open and the pain was there, the memory I have isn't of the pain. The memory I have is of my mom crying for me. I don't remember the pain. I know it hurts, but it was pain that was there and that was gone. The memory that moves me to this day is my mom's tears because she was present there with me and it overwhelmed me. And the circumstances that we go through, the pain that you feel, you're going to feel it today. But tomorrow what you'll remember is your heavenly father there holding you, caring for you, being with you through the time of the difficulty. That's what will be ongoing. And that's what Jesus wants for us. That is what he's trying to to bring us into. 
And so we pray to God who is here and we, we pray simple prayers that aren't eloquent, but they are from our heart, knowing his loving eyes are on us, that his ears are open to us. And we don't lose heart. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? Let's pray. Lord, as I've gone through and read these passages, I am aware of how lacking I am in so many of these things. Lord, there is a stronger desire for more of you, of more interaction with you, of more awareness of you. Lord, I want to be a person who is genuine with heart, soul, mind, and action that all that I do is in my relationship to you. The way I'm generous, the way I do things, the way I pray is all part of this relationship I have with a living God. And so I pray, Father, that I would beware of these things that are traps. The lure of attention, the deception Lord, of these momentary recognitions. That I would be aware, Father, of the circumstances that change and you, the God who does not. And that my trust would be in you through all that I go through. That my heart would be yours in the middle of the difficult times. And that I would go to that closet, that I would go to that car, that I would go to that quiet place where it is you and I. And my heart could spill open, knowing that my Father in heaven hears me, cares for me, and is moving for my benefit. That it is your pleasure to give me the kingdom. May I be a person deserving that citizenship, deserving that position. And may these things help me to become that, help us to become that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you take Jesus' warning to be careful of how you do what you do and may you hear the heart behind his warning that is for us to be closer to him and may you not lose heart God is with us God bless you guys have a wonderful week you have been listening to the Genesis podcast we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.